Uh, Lent is a season that is, it's interesting, really. It's a, it's a unique season that comes right before Easter, if you're un, unfamiliar with that. It's, it is the 40 days before Easter, not counting Sundays. Okay, so it's really like 45 or 6 days. Okay, and it's the time where our church prepares our hearts for Easter morning. And there's a pretty important thing that happens on Easter morning, right? Right? Jesus rose from the dead. And so we are preparing for the celebration of that day. So today we're going to start by looking at um, how do we do Lent? That's a good question, because I grew up, I knew what Lent was. I, I, I mean, I knew what the word was, and I knew that the church did it, and I knew it meant we had to give up something I liked, and I wasn't super fan of that. And, and so I didn't really understand what it was. Um, but we're going to look at how do we do that? How do we do this thing called Lent today? And I'm going to do my very best, and the Lord is going to do the rest, because this is Pastor Steve's sermon. And so, <laughs> so um, I'm going to try to do it proud, okay? But let's pray. I, I've got ahead of myself. Let's pray over that. Father, we thank you for just how we can move on the fly and how you are never shaken. You're never surprised by it. And your spirit is the same um, in and out of every situation, Lord. And we thank you that, that as Pastor Steve was preparing this sermon this week, Lord, your spirit was in that. And as, as I'm about to present this sermon that he prepared, Lord, your spirit is also in that. It is the same spirit. And your word can be spoken even though I didn't prepare this sermon. And we thank you for that, for you are faithful. Lord, I pray that you take my words and make them your words. I pray that you fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit because it is the only way that we can receive anything from this, I pray. In your name we pray, amen. So most of us have encountered, um, at one time or another, the unapology apology. We know what that is, right? Where someone doesn't really take responsibility for the wrong thing they've done, and they, they often are shifting the blame. Now, I have to admit, I am guilty of this. I, I, am, I, I am the first, when, when I do something wrong, my first reaction is to try to explain what I actually meant, try to, to explain my intentions so that you, maybe they won't be hurt anymore. And, that, and really, every time I put my foot in my mouth and I realize I just should have apologized for hurting that person. But often this can, can sound like, I'm so sorry that you're upset by that, or you got upset, or I'm so sorry that you just can't really take a joke, right? Apologies are, are not something that everybody just naturally does well, and, and we have to work at them. I have to work at them. So Pastor Steve Googled what does, what, uh, he, they Googled in, he Googled. I was going to say he Googled in Google. <laughs> he searched in Google how to apologize. And I believe there's a picture. Yep, there it is. And, and really what it is is you say that you're sorry. You, you apologize, but there has to be an omission of whatever it is that you did that was wrong. All right? 
there also needs to be some form of an attempt to make amends in, in whatever it is. Uh, you can see that this gentleman is bringing flowers. And I cannot remember, I can't count how many times um, I will go and buy flowers for my wife at the store, and the comment I get from the cashier is, what'd you do wrong? <laughs> can't I just buy flowers for my wife? Why do I have to be doing, sometimes it is because I did something wrong, but I don't need to be reminded. So we try to make amends. We try to make things right. Finally, a genuine apology should include some form of a commitment to not do whatever it is we did again. Lent can be a very difficult season for those of us who, who it isn't easy for us to apologize. Because the season of Lent is all about confession. And confession is admitting our wrong. The season of Lent takes us to the very heart of repentance. And repentance is very closely related to a true apology. And it can even sometimes include the same qualities or the different steps that we have to take. But repentance goes much deeper than just an apology. Repentance is true confession and a change of direction. It literally means a 180 degree turn. Okay, so, so think about it. If you're doing something, you're going this way, you're moving towards sin. Repentance is saying, I have sinned doing this, and I am no longer going to sin. I will move 180 degrees away from that sin. And often, almost every time, the 180 degree direction moves us towards God. Because God will be away from sin. So if we move away from the sin, we'll be moving towards God. True repentance never shifts blame. It never shirks the responsibility of the fact that we are the ones who did it. Instead, one who truly repents is one who humbly submits oneself to the grace and the love of God. Today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9. So if you want to start moving in your Bibles that direction, you can. But today in our passage, we're going to see an amazing example of true repentance laid bare by the prophet Daniel. Daniel is repenting on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. Others, uh, he's repenting for others, really. Not just himself, but he's repenting for everyone. He is repenting for big and weighty uh, things like societal sins, uh, the way that the children of Israel have been par participating in, idol in idolatry. Daniel is an example for us of just how we are to humble ourselves before the Lord with a fervent turning to the right way, but also on how we are to bring others to the Lord in prayers of, for repentance as well. So we're going to start in Daniel, and what we're going to do is we'll read a few verses, we're going to talk about it, and then we'll read a few more verses. So I'm not going to read the entirety of the passage today, so if I stop suddenly, don't get thrown off, okay? All right, Daniel 9, 1 through, we'll start with just the first couple verses. Um, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, 
Skipping to verse 2 because there's a lot of other stuff in there that it's about who he was and it doesn't matter. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lay desolate for 70 years. So the first thing about how we should do Lent is, is we have to read and understand the Bible. Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah here, okay? And if you've ever read Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah was not the most uplifting gentleman. Uh, he was, his, his, uh, his writings are very, very heavy, very sad. Uh, he's called the lamenting prophet um, because he... Uh, he is the one who watches Jerusalem get, get wasted by Babylon. But he is, at the beginning of Jeremiah, he is warning the people repeatedly of all of the things the people of Israel are doing that is wrong and that they have to turn back to God. They're strong warnings. They're warnings that the, the nation will be destroyed. But they don't, they don't listen. The people ignore him. They don't see the concern. They're so blinded by their sin that they don't hear. It's a weird statement, right? You're so blinded that you can't hear. It's, it's a very true statement for, for people. Jesus uses that terminology himself. You see, Jerusalem, or Judah, which is the nation Jerusalem was in, it was trapped between two very large empires. It was trapped between Babylon and Egypt. Okay? And they decided to side with Egypt, which was the wrong decision. Instead, they should have sided with God, turned from what they were doing, and neither empire would have been able to bother them. But instead... They played the games the world told them to play. They sided with Egypt, and Babylon destroyed them. In 587 BCE, the, uh, the entire city of Jerusalem is leveled and burned. And Jeremiah is, is told by God to sit on a hill and watch it happen. Oh, man. I hope God never calls me to do stuff like that. In this process, many of the young and strong and bright Jewish boys are rounded up and they're taken back to Babylon. Now, Daniel is one of these young men. Um, if you read Daniel 1 and 2, you see the beginnings of how Daniel comes. And he's, he's nothing more than a teenager when he arrives in, in Babylon. And he is um, placed in basically the um the king's academy he he's smart he is most likely from a royal family or, or a noble family and he and a bunch of other young men are placed in this academy to train them how to be good babylonians they want to wipe away everything that was their jewish heritage and make them babylonian they give them new names Babylonian names, so they don't have these Jewish names anymore. We see three of, the, of his friends, Daniel and three of his friends, in the first chapter, 
decide that they don't want to participate in the way the king wants them to participate. Because what happens is they're supposed to, they're, they're giving, they're being blessed, air quotes there, because it's not really a blessing, with food from the king's table, which is the best food, right? But the problem is, is the king ate from the food that was um, sacrificed and consecrated to idols. And so everything that was eaten by the king and anybody who ate off his table was given to an idol already. And Daniel understood this, and his friends understood this. His friends are known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see other stories in Daniel of those three's attempts to stand up for what they believe. But they don't want to do this. They know that this is, would, be, um, would be a sin, because they believe that God is the only true God, and they will only worship Him. And eating the food of an idol is like worshiping that idol. And so they won't do it. And if you read, it's a great story in, um, in chapter 1 of how they make this stand, that they won't eat it. They're going to eat just vegetables. And they end up being smarter and wiser and stronger than all of these other men who have supposedly eaten the best food. Okay? Sorry, that was a segue. Now I've got to figure out where I'm at here. <laughs> okay, all of the people of Israel get scattered all over the place. Some of them go to Babylon with the armies. Others get scattered into the wilderness. Others go to Egypt. Others go to other nations. And all of them feel like God has abandoned them. Because they are the people of God. God is to protect them and has repeatedly done so in the past. But he didn't this time. And they don't understand why they don't even after being in exile they can't read jeremiah and see or hear what they should have done right so here is daniel he's reading jeremiah and the lord opens his eyes to what jeremiah was saying he understands that it was the sin of the people that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and so this passage we're reading today is, is Daniel's attempt to pray repentance for the nation that he loves and that is currently laying in desolation. So as we continue in verse 3, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and I plead with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. That's a weird, a weird thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I, a lot of us have wood stoves. We have lots of ash. Why would you put ash on you? That's weird. I get it on me when I don't like it, but I, when I'm cleaning. Right? But he's willingly putting it on him. This is a sign of understanding your, your sinfulness is really what this is. Um, it, he is... What often would happen is they would literally tear their nice clothing that they're wearing and they would put on these rough beggar burlap bags. And, and it was a sign of contriteness, the sign of repentance, the sign of pleading for um, a change in me and that they're, they're worthless. And, and, they put, and they put ash on themselves in the same way. They, they're in need of repentance. It's interesting because, you know, you start, ash, uh, you start Lent with Ash Wednesday, which would have been this last Wednesday. And, and in, in Ash Wednesday, you go to a service and a priest 
marks you with ash on your forehead, a sign of, of the cross as being a Christian. That ash is very much like what Daniel's doing here, marking himself as needing redemption. So number two, Daniel responds to what he's read. He, he hears what God is saying in Jeremiah, and he responds by pleading with the Lord because he knows that there is wrong, there is sin. Throughout Daniel's life here in Babylon, he has lived a righteous lifestyle. He has not turned to, to the Babylonian lifestyle. As we said in Daniel 1, we see that as well. Uh, in Daniel 1, we see that. And then in Daniel 6, we see the, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den? Because he was praying to God. Every day, Daniel was praying three times to God. And the men who knew him and who were jealous of him, they, they didn't like that he was doing so well. So they, they made this plan to get him caught. They go to the king and they say, hey, um, why don't you make this rule, this law, that for the next month, you who are so great, you are the one and true God. You, you, we, no one should pray to anybody but you for a month. And the king, being very vain, was like, absolutely, I like this idea. I am great and awesome, and I should be prayed to for a month. So he makes this law. Daniel doesn't bat an eye. He continues to pray to God, never prays to the king, which he never would have prayed to the king. And he stands firm. He stands firm in this faith. He isn't willing to waver from it. And the men knew he wouldn't. And as we know in the story, they show the king the king takes Daniel, puts him in the lion's den. He's mortified because of the, he realizes this was a trick to get rid of Daniel, who he loved. And God delivers Daniel because of his faithfulness and his love. This life that Daniel has lived in, in Babylon is, is one where he chooses to live the opposite of the way that the people of Israel had been living before they went into Babylon. He's, he, he would have been an odd duck in, in Israel if he had lived like this, because Israel wasn't living like this. They were worshiping all kinds of idols. They weren't worshiping God. God was sort of just a little add-on to them. And Daniel would have been odd in that culture. But he continues to try to live for God the best that he knows how. To, he wants to continue to honor God in all things. And after reading Jeremiah, he realizes that the society had sinned so much against him, against God, not Daniel, that the only response was to come to him in prayer. And in four... We see, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have, been, we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commandments and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, 
who spoke with, on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Daniel prays. He lays it out there. He, he prays a prayer of repentance that's an earnest plea to God on behalf of all of Israel, not just himself, on all of Israel. You noticed in there that it wasn't an I have sinned and done wrong. We have sinned. We have rebelled. We are the ones who scorned your commandments and your regulations. It's important that as we're praying for other people, we also have to pray for ourselves. We have to acknowledge that, that first and foremost, in all things, that God is great, that God is the, the, the most powerful, that God is the one who is in control of this stuff, as Daniel did here. Because God is, he's the, it's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to have no other gods before him. And as, God, and as Daniel in this passage talks about the righteousness of God, his undying love, his unfailing love for those who have commanded, who, who follow his commands, he, he contrasts that with the vileness of Israel. How we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you. We have not listened to your prophets. We have not um, taken what you have told us to heart. The people had acted selfishly. The people suffered the consequences of their sins. Here they are residing in another nation, in Babylon, in captivity. Daniel is living with that consequence. He, is, he takes responsibility for the fact that the reason Israel is where it's at is not because God put us here, but we put us here. We're the ones who did the wrong. He doesn't make excuses for the behavior. He never shifts the blame to God. He never says, we're, we're, this is a misunderstanding. We don't deserve this. He understands that truly they don't deserve forgiveness. But he pleads with God to remember them, to restore them, to allow for his unfailing love to once again extend grace to them. And he's trusting in that. Not because God has to, but the hopes that God will out of love. In verse 7, we continue when we, when we see the Lord. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true for all of us including the people of Judea and um, of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you O Lord we are we and our kings 
princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, but we have not followed um, but we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed, disobeyed your instructions and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sins. Fourthly, we need to repent. We have to repent. Confession is difficult for us. It can be easy for us to look at, at ourselves as righteous, like Daniel did. But, but we need to, in this time of the year in Lent, as we go through this season, we need to repent. We must declare that God is in the right and we are not. We're all, we all live, no matter, no matter how good of lives we live, there is always, there's always more that needs repentance of. And we live in a community that impacts others, or what we do in community impacts others around us. We see sin in our world in ways that we treat one another, in uh, the ways that we treat the earth, and even in the ways we treat ourselves, just like we saw with Daniel. We repent for our complicity in sin, which is basically our, in, our in, in inactivity in stopping it. While we may be able to say that we personally are not actively committing a certain sin, we often... We can often point to times and places where we silently looked on while others were doing acts of injustice. Like the ways we look at ourselves instead of seeking for what might be best for our neighbor. We must repent for the societal sins around us. We often live with the consequences of the sins of others a culture of violence, a lack of stewardship of the earth, of greed, of selfishness. We often, it's often easy to, for us to just make, make excuses and shift blame that it's so-and-so's fault. It's that group over there's fault. It's not often our fault, right? But we're part of it because we're part of the society. And we must repent for our society. We must ask for... God's mercy in a world that we live in, even though we are not always involved in whatever the negative, sinful thing is, we can still bring that in repentance to God, just as Daniel brought his entire nation before God. Daniel didn't go around with a memo saying, hey guys, will you sign this um, piece of paper where I'm going to go to repentance for God? I want to make sure you're on board before we go. He didn't do that. He saw what Jeremiah was saying. He saw the truth in the reality of what Israel had been about. He saw that there needed to be repentance. And he stepped up to the plate and laid it out for God and said, 
I repent. We were wrong. We did wrong. You might not agree with whatever group is doing, whatever they're doing, but we can pray for the situation. We can pray for repentance in those places. We can pray for God's active, active hand in each of those situations. We are dependent on God's love and grace and mercy. That is what Lent is about. Lent is about understanding that we are not God. That we need God. We are in need of repentance from the one who sits in the right. And it is only through God's grace and love that, that he can transform us into the holy people he wants us to be. Daniel 9, 17 through 19 says, O our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how, our, how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plead, not because we deserve your help, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. For, yeah. O my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Lastly, we must depend on God. In, in the season of Lent, the, the people of God often fast. It's a time of fasting. And see, that's all I knew when I was a kid, was it was a time where I had to give up something I liked. But fasting is not about giving up something you like. It's about depending on God in whatever it is. So instead of food, people would fast food and depend on God for like a meal or if you're really all about it, you can fast all food. It's dangerous. Don't do that without a doctor's help. But Lent isn't about just giving up something. It's about, it's more about how do we, how do we grow in our dependence in God, no matter what it is we're doing. So it's not necessarily always that you give up something. It could be that you take on something that you don't normally do. Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you don't read your Bible enough, and so you're gonna, I'm going to read this much more time, or I'm going to pray this many more times today. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's all about the purpose of gaining more of a dependence on God. The season of Lent is clothed in repentance. Repentance is at the heart of fasting and prayer. We pray for ourselves and we, that we might come to know God more and that we might grow to look more like God. However, we also pray on behalf of the broken world around us, a world that is, so, is not so far removed from Daniel's world. 
While people may not be bowing down before the statue of a king, still, they still bow down to many things that aren't God. We bow down to, to greed, to money, to success. We bow down to entertainments, to the political parties. We put our hopes in things that are not God. We are a community who also needs to confess and repent together. We need to confess the ways sin has wormed its way into our hearts and our lives. We must fall heavily upon the grace and the love of God and trust, as Daniel did, that God will hear us and that God will forgive us and that God will heal us with his, with his unending love and grace, which I know he will. Will you pray with me? Father, we, your people, stand in repentance. We have done wrong. Lord, we pray that you will forgive us, that you will bestow your love and grace and your mercy abundantly in our lives today. Father, I pray that you will that you will act in our world. Father, forgive our world of the things that stand against you. Lord, may you make it known to those who don't know you of your love and grace and your forgiveness. May we as your people be living models of that. We need, your, we need your mercy. We need your strength. Continue to shape us and transform us with your love and grace to be your holy people, to be what you want us to be, Lord. We trust you. We love you. We want your will in our lives, Lord. And as we move through this time of Lent, as we prepare for Easter, may you speak specially to each of our hearts. May we become more dependent on you. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be dismissed.